All right, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, we're going to read verses, we're going to start in verse number 6, and we're going to read down through verse number 15, 6 through 15. Let's pray first, and then we'll read this uh, passage. Our Father in heaven, we uh, come to you in Jesus' name. Uh, Lord, we confess that we need you. Uh, there are many here uh, that are bearing burdens that uh, many of which have been mentioned. Lord, you know how to meet the needs and comfort the hearts. And even without outside of these walls, there are many people that we love that uh, are ill, that are in a difficult, a difficult place, uh, both uh, spiritually, physically, and emotionally. Lord, would you please help us to be faithful to pray for these people. Help us to be faithful to minister to one another. And Lord, as we look at your word tonight, we pray, please give us understanding. Please speak to each of our hearts. I pray that your spirit would stir among us and teach us from your word. We need your help. Lord, we can't do this independent of you. We can't, uh, even if we read the word, but absent the spirit of God and his promptings and, and his moving and doing the will of God in our lives and in our hearts, uh, Lord, it, it doesn't make a difference. So Lord, we ask your grace and your help even as we look at your word, for your word is quick and powerful and alive, and it's able to, uh, to, to move us and to prompt us uh, through the power of your spirit. So we ask for your help tonight. Let this time be a profitable time for each of us. Help us to, to see your will more clearly. And we ask these things all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, chapter 3 of first, uh, 2 Thessalonians, verse number 6. The Bible says this. This is the final you might call it the final uh, admonition that Paul gives to the, uh, the Thessalonians. And in verse number 6, the Bible says, Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly, and not after the, the tradition which he received of us. For yourselves know how ye ought to follow us, for we behaved not ourselves disorderly among you. Neither did we eat any man's bread for naught, but wrought with labor and travail night and day, that we might not be chargeable to any of you, not because we have not power, but to make ourselves an, an ensample unto you to follow us. For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. For we hear that there are some which walk disorderly, which which walk among you disorderly, not working, working not at all, but are busybodies. Now them that are such we command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ, that with quietness they work and eat their own bread. But ye brethren, be not weary in well doing. And if any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man and have no company with him, that he may be ashamed. Yet count him not as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. This final uh, passage that uh, Paul gives to the Thessalonians covers a specific topic. I feel, as I was reading it, uh, it, it seemed to be an important part. It has some important points that are worthy of, of study. Of course, every verse in the Bible is worthy of study and important. But in verse number six, he uses the command, the word command. Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is, he's speaking not when, it, when the Bible says he command, he's doing something in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
He is taking on the authority as if he's speaking in place of the Lord. Okay? And he says, "...that ye withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly, and not after the tradition which he received of us." So in this context, I'll ask you, and maybe you can answer, this group of people that, that Paul is speaking about here, are we talking about a group of people that are unbelievers or a group of people that are believers? Believers, hence the word brother. It's important for us to understand that uh, because as we go into this more, you're going you're gonna to understand more why that's significant. So this is this a command to withdraw to withdraw from, from people because of their lifestyle is something that God gives not for unbelievers, but for believers. And that, that, the idea of withdrawing is you disfellowship them. Now, this obviously this passage obviously has context and has a, has a, re, a relationship to what we would call church discipline, which is when the church, as a, a corporately, formally, disfellowships someone and disapproves of them in a public manner and then, and then tells them, you are no longer welcome to come here until such time as you repent in hopes that that person will repent and will be restored into fellowship of the church. And you know what? That's a very, very unpleasant thing to do. I've, I've been a part of that. We were in Cambodia and had to deal with that. And it's not fun. It is it's never fun to do that. But it is an important part of the church because it is one way that the church maintains a, a level of purity. This is not, when we say this, we're not talking about, well, the, a, a person just didn't agree with me on some insignificant matter. We're talking about matters of great import. We're talking about significant uh, aspects of not just what people believe, but the way people live. Sometimes we have this artificial distinction. We say, well, uh, well as long as they're doctrinally sound, then it's perfectly okay. As long as they believe right... But the way they live is not as important as what they believe. But actually, they're both considered doctrine. And, uh, and so, in fact, church discipline can be exercised uh, on someone who's, who's erred doctrinally, and it can be exercised on someone who is morally, uh, morally fallen as well. But again, the idea, and you're going to see it here again, is it's restorative. It's not designed as a punitive punishment just to shame someone, but it's designed to bring them back, bring them back. Look, there is no other, there, listen, there's no other group of people on God's earth for God's people but the church. And I know there's so many Christian organizations out there. <clears throat> there's, many, uh, there's many groups and churches, you know, many, 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 many churches. You, you can go into, nobody asks any questions. They don't care how you live. They don't ask what you believe. And, you know, you can just kind of fly under the radar and go into churches. But that's not the way it's intended to be. And, uh, and the, Lord wants, the Lord wants all of us, each one of us, to be people that are holy, people that are, live upright lives both in public and in private, and also believe doctrinally sound things as well. But this, I don't think, is directly re related to church discipline corporately as, as much as, as it is personal separation. And in this passage, listen, if, you, if you just pause and read verse 6, it's, it's, it's pretty pointed. It's pretty uh, kind of hard to swallow. It's, one of, it's like one of those big horse pills. I've been taking a lot of those lately. 
vitamin C, those big, huge vitamin C pills. It's kind of hard to swallow because in this verse, God tells us, yea, commands us to withdraw from people who are Christians in certain cases. To not fellowship with them. To not hang around them. And you know what? That's hard to do. That's hard to do. Because oftentimes it's easier to just kind of go along to get along. And again, we're not talking about people in the world that don't know God. We're talking about people who name the name of Christ. And these days, especially these days, um, it, is, it is taboo. It is absolutely taboo. Uh, whenever someone draws clear distinctions, right? Whenever someone's draw, someone draws clear distinctions and says, this is right and this is wrong, and you're doing wrong, the first, what's the first thing everybody says immediately? You're judging. You're judging. And, of course, we could go into that on another time about what the Bible says about judging. But the point being is that in this passage, God is saying if someone is acting in a disorderly way, and we'll look at that, then God says to withdraw from them. Do not hang around them. Do not fellowship with them. Put some distance between them and you. Is that what it says? That's what it says. Now, what does it mean to be disorderly? Disorderly. I, often we think of disorderly as we think of chaos, we think of a meeting and a bunch of people and they're talking all at the same time. But disorderly is actually related to the word unruly. Unruly. Here's what it means out of the dictionary. It means not according to order or rule in a lawless or unruly way, tumultuously or riotously. So disorder, this word disorder is actually the adverb. It says walk disorderly, walketh disorderly, is the adverb form of the word translated unruly in 1 Thessalonians 5. Look at that real quick. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse number 14. We're right there. Should be nice and close. The Bible says in verse 14, of chapter 5. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly. Comfort the feeble-minded. Support the weak. Be patient toward all men. Unruly. This is a person who cannot be ruled. This is a person who is unwilling to submit to God's Word. This is not some, listen, this is not someone who, uh, who, who messes up and falls into sin. Like one time, this is a person who, uh, you, can't, you can't be counted an unruly person unless someone has tried to correct you and you have rejected that correction. You understand? So an unruly person is a person who is outside of correction, will not receive correction. To put it briefly, an unruly person is a person who is a rebel. Do you know anybody like that in your life who names the name of Christ? Do you know anybody, have you known in the past, anybody in your life who names the name of Christ? That is a person who is unruly, disorderly, who is not willing to submit to God's word. They live a life that is characterized by rebellion. But if you ask them, they will give you, there's no quibbles. They know the Lord. They're saved. They prayed the prayer, whatever the case might be. But nevertheless, their life is a life that is characterized, characterized by, by being unruly. Now, as hard as it is for us to think about in 2021, God says, you need to withdraw. 
God wants distinctions made. It does not mean that we are, we are better, as they say, better than that person. It does not mean that that person, uh, it does not mean, as you'll see, that that person is, is less of a Christian. But God says, you need to withdraw. There need to be some hard distinctions made in, in the church and among God's people. And as you'll see, this is not just talking about people that, that are, that are uh, like in the church service, but this is talking about the way they live outside the church. And that matters too. See, often we make this distinction, especially down here in the South, and I'm a son of the South. And for those of you that aren't, just kind of tune me out for a second. So we get this idea that what we do in church is really important, but everything else is not really all that important. We kind of on our own time. But God's watching when we come here. That's not true at all. And in fact, what we read here is not, that's not even close to true. Verse number, verse number six again. He says, Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly. Look what it says. And not after the tradition which he received of us. Not after the tradition which he received of us. Now look down at verse number, verse number 14. Look what it says. And if any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man and have no company with him that he may be ashamed. Now let me ask you a question. This says a man is disorderly because he does not walk after, after this tradition. Now, is tradition always bad? What is tradition? What is tradition? Tradition is a, is a custom or a practice, with the way we use it in our day, is a custom or a practice that we pass down from, from one generation or one group to another. It, it could be a, a custom, could be a practice, could be a, uh, it could be a, 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 a habit, it could be a belief of faith. The, the thing with tradition is tradition by itself is not evil. But tradition alone is not authoritative either. Tradition alone is not authoritative. The question with tradition, because he uses the word tradition, so we have to understand what this is talking about. Because people, uh, people that do not believe the Bible like we believe the Bible, that it is the fi final authority for faith and for practice, they get down to this verse. And this is a verse they use to support all kinds of traditions they bring into the church that aren't found in the Bible. And they say, see, but the Bible says we should follow the traditions. But there are two types of traditions, and tradition is really a question of authority. And all tradition is not bad, nor is all tradition good. But tradition at its core is a question of authority. There are traditions of men. Now hold your place here real quick. Go to the left to Colossians chapter 2. Just a one or a two books over. Colossians chapter 2 and verse number, verse number 8. Colossians 2 verse 8, it says this, Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men. That's the key word. Tradition of men. And after the rudiments of the world and not after Christ. So this identifies a kind of tradition that has its source where? You go back, and you know, I know tradition is something like we do the 4th of July and we shoot fireworks. I have no idea where that came from. It's a tradition we take part in as Americans. And that goes back to an original source, right? The first time it was done. So it is with traditions that are religious traditions. They go back to an original source. Somebody had an idea that we were going to do it this way and... But 
Traditions can come of men or they can come from God. For, look, look uh, hold your place in 2 Thessalonians, of course, and look at Matthew chapter 15. Matthew 15, verse number 2. It says this. These uh, the scribes and Pharisees come to the Lord, and they say in verse 2, Why do thy disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they wash not their hands when they eat bread. And he answered and said unto them, Why do ye also transgress the commandment of God by your tradition? So tradition and, the, and what God said were not the same in this case. They were distinct. I love it, I love it when, when this happens. Did Jesus wash his hands before he ate? Because that was the tradition. You had to do that. Did he do it? Does anybody remember from your reading? Did he do it? No. Why didn't he follow the tradition? Did he have some problem with tradition? Well, he's making a point here. Verse 4. For God commanded, saying, Honor thy, thy father and mother, and he that curseth father and mother, let him die the death. But ye say, Whosoever shall say to his father or his mother, It is a gift by whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me, and honor not his father and his, or his mother, he shall be free. Thus have ye made the commandment of God of none effect by your tradition. You see, they had a tradition of men, had its source in men, and then there was a tradition or the commandment of God that was authoritative. That's why I say it's a question of authority. Now, traditions of men aren't always bad, but they're not authoritative. So when we go back to our text here, we can see uh, in 2 Thessalonians, there are some traditions that we hold, things that we do as a church, as a Christian, that are things that we have been taught to do. Sometimes we don't even know the Bible verse, why we do it, Right? And of course, we should know the Bible verse. But if we obey that tradition, because it's a scriptural tradition, that is, it's, it finds its source in God, and it's been passed down to us, it's a good thing. Paul said in verse number 6, and not after the tradition which he received of us. So this tradition that he's teaching these believers is... Is, is something that he got directly from God. And in verse 14, he says, If any obey not our word by this epistle, which is, of course, God's word. So he's talking about a tradition that has its source in the Scripture, which is entirely different. Look at chapter 2, verse, uh, same book, chapter 2, verse 15. It says this, Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which ye have been taught, whether by word or by our epistle. Notice what it says at the end. Whether by what? Word or by our epistle. So the, this is a tradition, a custom that has been passed down, but has its source in God's word via Paul to these people. Listen, traditions get a bad rap. Sometimes people hold tradition even though it violates God's Word. Tradition is never to be held above the Word of God. But many traditions that we hold have their origination in God's Word. 
And that's a good thing. You know, if you go to a country that does not have these traditions, some of these, we might call them biblical traditions, they don't have these things where they are just assumed to be true, and they have a sound source, that is the Word of God, which is the final authority. It's hard to teach people these things because they do not automatically assume they're true. Like, for instance, if you, if you have a tradition where you read your Bible, you know, maybe you read the Bible every day or, or, or you read a, a, by a certain schedule, that might be a tradition that's passed down, a scriptural tradition. It's something that's right, it's from God's Word, and, and we're taught to do it, but they might not know that they're supposed to do that. And so you have to establish traditions. Yes, you need to come every Sunday, every Sunday, because there's not a tradition. There's not that understanding. So traditions aren't always bad, although they get a bad rap. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 2, the same word that is translated tradition is translated ordinance, which is like a rule. But look at what it says in verse 7. So what you have here is in verse 6, you have these, you have, you have these people who are disorderly. They're rebellious. Why? Because Paul has been teaching, trying to teach this church, these Christians to live a certain way, and they are, this, this, particular, this particular person is not doing it. And he will not be corrected. And verse 7 says, For yourselves know how ye ought to follow us. For we behave not uh, ourselves disorderly among you. Notice, Paul was an what? Paul and his group was, an, was a what? An example. And in verse 8, he says that, Neither did we any man's bread for naught. Uh, verse 9, I'm sorry. Not because we have not power, but, but to make ourselves an ensample unto you to follow us. So Paul, the important thing to, to note here is that Paul and his group followed their own, their own teachings. They were examples. That means the traditions that they had taught that church from the Word of God, they themselves followed. And that's a significant thing. That's a significant thing. One of the greatest tools that we have as we, we interact with new believers, and again, pardon the, the reference, but especially to people that don't come from a Christian environment or a Christian society, as we might, might use that term loosely, one of the greatest tools that, that we have is that we can show them how to live their Christian life by an example, even if they don't know the Scripture. Because we are following God's Word, they see that, and then they follow God's Word, just kind of in mimicry. They don't know. Many, many, many times people don't know what's expected of them. Sometimes they don't know the way they're supposed to act. They don't know, uh, they don't know what, the, the way they need to react to certain situations in their life or maybe when they're at work or, or when they're with their family or whatever. They don't know these things, but they see it in us. They see it in people that are more mature that have already, uh, that, that are serving as examples because we follow God's Word, these biblical traditions as it's used here. They have no cultural assumptions to guide them which that might be good or bad. They learn first and most quickly by example and mimicry. But I want to ask you a question as we look. 
Paul set, he sets himself as an example and he says, you saw us. You saw how we lived and you saw the traditions that we were teaching you. You saw the way we followed them. So much so that he says, even though we could work, I'm sorry, even though we could, we could have, have depended on you to supply our physical needs and withheld from working so that we could minister, we refused so that we could set an example. I want to ask you a question. Is your life as a Christian such that you can, with a clear conscience, tell other people to follow you? Is your life as a Christian, is my life as a Christian, such that we can, with a clear conscience, tell another person to follow us? Because that's what Paul is doing. That's pretty bold. That's pretty bold. Follow me. I've set the example. I'm following the Word of God, these biblical traditions that God has given me. I'm doing it so you have a pattern. Are you and am I a pattern for those that are after us? Look at verse 8. Neither did we eat any man's bread for naught, but wrought. That means you worked. You made things with labor and travail night and day that we might not be chargeable to any of you. So you know what Paul did? Paul worked a job. He, he had his own business or, 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 or means of supporting himself. Not only him, not only he had that, but those who are with him did. And, and it says in verse 9, not because we have not power. That power we're being referred to is the power to insist that that church support him because he brought the gospel to them. And that is a biblical principle. And that's why we pay the pastor, right? That's a biblical principle. We pay the pastor so that he is free to minister the word. But Paul said, I won't take it. Now that, listen, don't misunderstand. Paul did not say, I won't take it because he was too spiritual. <laughs> Paul said, I won't take it for a, for a specific purpose. He had an aim. He had to set an example for a problem. Because you know what there were here? There were people that refused to work. That refused to work. Notice what he said in verse 8. He says, neither did we eat any man's bread for naught. You know what this is? This is the principle of paying your way. Not mooching on other people. That's what it says, right? And not expecting or hoping for others to pay your way. You know, sometimes we're like, well, I wish I could get a hamburger. I just don't have any money. Listen. Paying your own way is a biblical principle, and it's right. We shouldn't be expecting handouts from other people. That's a biblical principle. And the proper way to provide for yourself is what? Work. Your work. Not everybody else's work they give to you. Your work. This is a biblical principle. Verse number, uh, verse number 10. For even when we were with you, this we command you. This we commanded you. 
that if any man would not work, neither should he eat. You know what this verse does? It provides some clarification and guidance on the type, for the types of people that we should help financially. Now, look at, look at verse 10 real, real carefully. For when we were with you, we command, this we commanded you, that if any would not work. What does that word would mean? Exactly. They're making a choice. Not can't, but wouldn't. Given the opportunity to work, say, you know what, that's okay, I got better things to do. He says, this, this is pretty hard. Neither should he eat. Let him go hungry. You know, how many of you, how many of you would actually take it to that degree? Because that's the degree that God said it. If any say, if anybody, so we're talking about able-bodied people that can work but refuse. That's the key there, right? Able-bodied people that refuse to work. God says, do not help them. How many of you kind of feel like that's, that's kind of strict? That's kind of... See, our, our society has been so desensitized or really sensitized to where someone's in a bad way and we just want to... We just, we just feel like we need to do something. Well, this is one case God says, uh-uh. He says, if they won't work, they shouldn't eat. So, so we can see it's not a scripture, it's a scriptural principle that able, able-bodied people should not be helped. It sounds harsh, but it's it's pretty pretty clear. Now, what you have in verse 8 and 9, just to jump back up there, one thing I skipped. Paul had, the, Paul had the, the power to work as an apostle. I'm sorry, the power to take a, a salary, if you will, as an apostle. But you know what he did? He refused. He chose the more difficult route to serve others. You see, he sacrificed and laid aside his own rights. He chose to abstain from something that was his right to have for the benefit of others. He didn't say, no. No, I am an apostle. I should not have to work. But see, that, this is a perfect example of biblical servitude. This is a man who sacrificed what was easy for him, sacrificed what, what made his life, uh, would have given him more ministry opportunities, sacrificed his rights and laid them down willingly and, saying, and said, my rights don't matter. Helping these people have an example is more important than my rights. And that's, this is biblical leadership. This is the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but what? To minister and to give himself a ransom for many, right? So he sacrificed his rights for others. That is the core of, of service. Christian service. Listen, that doesn't exist in the world. They talk like it exists, but it doesn't. Worldly leadership is characterized by self-serving actions. They say, oh, we're just servants of the people, but they're not. That's worldly leadership. Biblical, Christian, godly leadership is one that sacrifices oneself and 
in, 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 for the good of that, which is, that, that person which is served. Let's jump down to verse 11. For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly. Again, that means unruly. Will not be, they're constantly in rebellion, working not at all. Now, what's funny to me is in this, uh, in this chapter, he says, you need to pull away from those people. There's some people you just don't need to hang around. And that really, that really cuts across our sensitivities and sensibilities sometimes because we're taught that we're supposed, to, we're supposed to be nice to everybody all the time. And we're not supposed to say unkind things. That's what we're taught. But in this case, this person is unruly. Now, what's interesting to me is in this context, is, are we talking about adultery or idolatry or extortion or murder or theft? What are we talking about? No. What are we talking about? In this context, we're talking about a man who wanted to mooch off of everyone else and didn't want to work. And as a result, he became idle, a busybody. That's an interfering, meddling, prying person who involves himself in, in another person's affairs without an invitation. Here's the thing. People who refuse to work get themselves into all kinds of sins, all sorts of sins because of idleness. People that are busy working with their hands, occupying their time, don't have as much time to be meddling in sin. Here's the problem. When we are idle, and you, you all know this, an idle mind is the devil's workshop, and there's other sayings, pithy sayings like that that remind us of this truth. But when we're working with our hands, our mind doesn't have a chance to think up, think up all, the, all the evil. We don't have time to go from house to house. We don't have time to dabble in all these, uh, uh, all these things of other people's business. A working man asks this, or a working man says this, I don't have time to occupy myself with other people's problems. Right? I'm too busy working. In the scripture, this is called disorderly to such a degree that Paul says, you need to disfellowship these people. You don't need to hang around them. Another reason that people refuse to work, people that refuse to work, they take the provision of others who do work for their own sustenance especially considering the cause for their lack, which is they refuse to work and then they want other people to support them. Listen, this is a, this is a terrible, obviously, look, if, if, this is, if this is the context for what Paul says you need to withdraw from, these types of people you need to withdraw from, what does that say about God's, the, the importance that God places on people working and supporting themselves? He takes it seriously. And it guides us, not only in our own conduct, but it guides us as we interact with other people. Ephesians 4.28 says this, Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good. Don't you love that? God just puts it plain. Working with your hands is good. That he may get, that he may have to give to him that needeth. 
It's wonderful. Instead of taking what other people have worked for, we give to people who can't work. You see, we give to people that need. Now, if we, as we jump down and get ready to conclude here, he says, verse 12, but now there... Uh, now them that are such we command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ that with quietness they work and eat what? What does it say? Eat their own bread as opposed to, come on, come on, someone else's bread. <laughs> but ye brethren, be not weary in well-doing. And if any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man and have no company with him, that he may be ashamed. So both here and in verse 6, we're told not to fellowship with a brother, not a non-Christian, but a brother that walks disorderly. And there's a lot of other things that could count under that, that category of unruly or disorderly. This admonition is given not to the one who walks disorderly, but to those in the church that don't walk disorderly, the ones that are trying to walk with God. Now, what the Bible says in this passage is extremely counterculture. Our culture teaches us, and especially in the Christian culture, our culture teaches us that we should never say anything bad about what other people do. Our culture teaches us that we should just help everybody. Our culture teaches us that we should... We, in fact, it goes, it's so bad that people shame, Christian people shame us if we withdraw ourselves from someone who is disorderly. Listen, I'll tell you something. There are some people that I won't hang around. And you know what? In your life, there should be people that you won't hang around by a conscious decision. Not just we don't have mutual interests, but you say, no. Their life is not in alignment with God's word in an egregious way. And that's not judging. That's not judging them and saying they're going to hell. That's none of that. That's you taking an honest look at their life and you taking an honest look at God's word and you saying, God, I, I don't understand it all exactly, but I know that you said for people like this, I don't need to be around them. Now, that might be a hard pill to swallow. And it's definitely counterculture. And sometimes people shame us if we choose to do that. You're just a judgmental, narrow-minded person. It is taboo. Listen to this verse in Proverbs 14, verse 7. Go from the presence of a foolish man when thou perceivest not in him the lips of knowledge. Go from the presence of a foolish man. Now I want to look at one more passage. I believe it's in 1 Corinthians Chapter 5. Look there real quick and we'll finish there. 
Now, in our, in our text, it says this. It says, And if any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man and have no company with him that he may be ashamed. People that sin, people that are unruly, should feel shame. We should not be the reason that they feel comfortable living that way. Right? And sometimes we don't want to be mean. If you follow these verses, sometimes they're painful to obey, right? We have to withdraw. But our choice, they have put us in such a place where we must choose. Are we going to obey the Lord? Or are we only trying to coddle that person who is living unruly? God wants them to be ashamed. And sometimes that's not our intention. Sometimes we do it kind of kicking and screaming. And we just back away quietly, but they notice. And it pricks their conscience. That's what the Lord intended. This has nothing to do with being a judgmental person looking down your long nose at someone, judging every little thing they do. It has nothing to do with that. That's not the people that are even in view. Am I correct? We're talking about rebellious people here. It says, Yet count him not as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. Pastor Stewart constantly talks about this. He says, you, I, you can say whatever you want to say, but just don't have an attitude, right? And he's, he's absolutely right. So even when we have to do this, the attitude matters. The tone matters. We're not saying, you're not a Christian. We're saying, you can't, I can't be around you. God is not pleased with the way you're living. I want you to get Right? Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 9 says this. I wrote unto you in an epistle not to company with fornicators. So now we're, we're talking about, this is the same sort of thing. The word company is used, same as in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. But now we're not talking about people who are busy bodies and won't work. We're talking about fornicators. He says this, verse 10. Yet not altogether with the fornicators of this world or with the covetous, or extortioners, or with idolaters. For then must ye needs go out of the world. In other words, if you are going to, if you are going to cut, if you are going to disfellowship and not, not, not be friends with or, or close to people that were all of these things and you included all people in that group, you would have to leave the, wor- the world. Everybody's like that. Christian people that go to church, our family has experienced this recently. This very thing, people whose names are on rolls of churches, mean, ungodly, unruly. The Lord says, if you are going to disfellowship from all of those people, you'd have to just leave the world. Maybe you can get on one of the SpaceX rocks and they can just take you and drop you off. You'd have to leave the world because they're, they're all around us. That's why God says, I'm talking about a brother. A believer. We are, we are to be held to a higher standard. A holy standard. Everything doesn't go. Not just for our lives, but among ourselves. Everything doesn't go. God has standards. And sometimes people cross the line and will not be corrected. And God says, you don't need to hang around with 
he says, but, verse 11, but now I have written unto you not to keep company. What's the key phrase here? If any man that is called a brother be a fornicator. So we're talking about the people doing the same things as the people in the world that don't know God are doing, but this is a brother. He's called a brother. He names the name of Christ. He says this, any man that is called a brother be a fornicator or covetous or an idolater or a railer or a drunkard or an extortioner with such an one know not to eat. It's pretty strict. I see this, that God is serious about sin among his people. And I see in this that God expects us as believers to police ourselves. He says as much in the next verse. For what have I to do to judge them that are without? What does that mean? Why am I going to judge people that are outside the church? People that don't know God. That's not my job. Do not ye judge them that are what? Within. There's that word judge again, that mean old five-letter word. But them that are without God judgeth. Therefore, put away from among yourselves that wicked person. See, my primary intention in talking about these passages is not, is not so much on a church discipline level, but on a personal level. On a personal level that we should not, there are some things we should not wink at. We sh- among Christian people that we should not say, oh, it's, it's not a big deal. God expects us to hold a higher standard and to react to that. And if someone crosses that line to say, okay, well, I mean, I love them, but I can't hang around them. God wants us to be pure, and he also wants, to, he wants light to be shed on that person and what they're doing. If they're, his, if they're one of his people, one of his children, he wants that person to come back. He wants them to see their sin. He wants them to feel the shame of that in hopes that they repent. And we play a part in that. We play a part in that. But we've got to do it, as I said, with the right attitude. They're not our enemy. No Christian should ever have an enemy that we made. No Christian should ever have an enemy of our own making. If people want to be, count us as enemies, that's on them. That's up to them. But we should count, not count anyone on this planet that lives and breathes an enemy. To include a Christian who's wayward. That has the right attitude the right heart, the desire that we could be in fellowship one day. Let's pray.